So is it possible for a Catholic to be saved? Are you saying everybody that claims to be a Catholic is not saved? How do we answer that? Ray, did you guys have television in New Zealand in the 1980s? <laughs> yes, we used to wear shoes. and we'd... <laughs> <laughs> I've had people ask stuff like that. Did you guys have cars in Lebanon? Yeah. yeah. Did you? And camels. I mean, <laughs> did, did, <laughs> combined. Stereotypes. Did you really? Ray, what were some of the TV shows you watched as a kid? Oh, they were absolutely pathetic. I, I, you know, you go back and think, oh, I just loved Get Smart with Maxwell. Oh, that was the Smart. best. Go back and watch it. It's absolute corn. <laughs> it really is. It's just not funny now. And yeah. you know, even the Flintstones we used to love watching, and things have really changed. But, yeah, stuff like that. We Did they have watch. Flintstones when you were a kid? Yeah, Flintstones. Oh, yes. It's about 60 years old. What was your guys' favorite shows as kids? Mark, you go first. Oh, boy. I wasn't a Christian. Uh, uh, cartoons. <laughs> I, I loved uh, Jabberjaw, Josie and the Pussycats, Scooby-Doo, Flintstones, Jetsons, all those. Yeah. Smurfs on Saturday morning. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Sat- when I think of Saturday mornings, I get a certain feeling. Mm. You know, that, that was you'd wake up in the morning and watch cartoons. Yeah. You know, they had the best ones on. Mm. Um, Did you stop now? Oh, uh, well. Just on Monday, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, Fridays, <laughs> Saturdays. Remember the story of Rachel in New Zealand? She was watching a show called, I think, The Young Doctors or something. Oh, yeah, she collapsed. She, <laughs> she was so into it. A lady fell down an elevator shaft. It wasn't shaft. a lady. It was the top nurse. Was it? Nurse, oh, nurse Moore or something like me, that. the top nurse. Yeah, she fell down an elevator shaft, and <laughs> she was standing there. She was about eight, nine years old, watching the TV, and she collapsed. She totally collapsed. She was so into it. She thought it was really? real. And just collapsed yeah what about uh, you you know i loved like the a team was one of my absolute oh yeah favorites. it was fun in fact ray we won't get into the details but you were cornered by mr t once at a certain event yes and <laughs> he talked to you for like 15 minutes straight was like, he a he christian isn't he a christian you better be good to your mama <laughs> was basically all he'd talk about treat your mama right yeah isn't he um, like a preacher now I think, yeah, he professes. I, mean, I don't know him personally, but oh, he was the best, man. I mean, how much more iconic can you get than Mr. Yeah. T? I what, mean, the what most... was the nasty thing you used to say to people all the time? I, I pity the, the fool. Yeah, fool, you fool. <laughs> <laughs> him and, him and uh, was it uh, B.A. Baracus? They would go at it all the time. Or no, the uh, Murdoch. That's and right, what about Mission Impossible? Was you around for that? The original the Mission Impossible? I no, no, it's not the movie. There was a TV the, show. TV, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, it was a TV show. I never watched that. Uh, but yeah, A-Team, Different Strokes, Laverne and Shirley. Where did that come from? What about Laverne and Shirley? Growing pains. You guys are old. Oh, yeah. Growing pains. I love growing pains. I never saw it. You never did? No, never saw it once. I never saw it. Mark, did you used to watch it? Oh, I loved it. And uh, The Greatest American Hero. Oh, yes. oh, yeah. I identified with him. Believe it or not. Is that the guy who flew in, yes. in the red suit? <laughs> crashing the clutch. I've like seen that on YouTube. Superhero. That's why I like crashing. Him. Yeah. <laughs> that would be Ray. Absolutely. <laughs> he was a superhero for sure. Oh, Knight Rider. Oh, oh yeah. Yes. Imagine how pathetic you know that having a car that talks to you and drives itself, yeah, right? It's here. It's here. <laughs> Do you know that the voice of the car is Principal Feeney? That was from Kit, Boy Kit. Meets World. Kit no. was the name Same of the guy. Car, Seriously? Yeah, Feeney is the voice of the Knight Rider oh, you're car. you kidding me. The name of the car was Kit. 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 Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Kit. It stood for something. K-I-T. I Okay, here's a funny story I used to get made fun no, of all the time. you sit a high bar now. Ah, man. This is a <laughs> mediocre story. I used to be made story. fun of all the time for my name, Oscar. I won't repeat the things that first graders used to say to me. But I remember going home and thinking to myself, when I get older, I'm going to change my name. And then I had to figure out what name I was going to change it to. And I decided in my head, when I got old enough, I was going to change my name to Michael Knight. 
And I used to sign things, Michael Knight, because in my head I wanted to change it to Michael Knight. David Hasselhoff. Don't Hasselhoff. He was, you guys know that that guy was actually like a a singing legend, like over in Europe. Yeah, in Russia. He would do albums. (laughs) It was like, I'll tell you what I think. I think it's weird. We're talking about names, how they conjure up things. Like Michael J. Fox sounds so sort of, um, but take the J out. Hey, do you know Mike Fox? It's just not. Yeah, that's right. It's not the same. Michael J. Fox. Yeah. But yeah, man, how much TV has changed? I mean, Ray, in New Zealand, didn't you guys have just like a couple channels, two, yeah, three channels? Yeah, we had two channels. But before that, it was one. <laughs> so we doubled. <laughs> do you, Mark, do you remember the channels we had growing up? If you could think of them, not, not yeah. the cable ones. What, not, what would, yeah. Oh, just uh, channel two, four, five, seven, uh, 11. nine, 11, and 13. And That's then you right. had 27, TBS. But you had N- NBC, CBS, and NB- ABC. Yeah, that's national it. Shows. That was it. Two, oh, okay. four, two, four, and seven. So you had yeah. local, local, and yeah, those national. are all the local. And then we had, uh, but then channel eighteen. Remember, you switch it to UFH or something. There was mm-hmm. something weird on our TV. We had a, and but channel eighteen, it'd have like PBS stuff like that. But now it's endless. You know, hundreds of channels with satellite. Yeah. Not even so channels. Hard. It's all streaming. And it's so hard for people. Yeah, to become, now streaming too. So hard for people to become famous nowadays. Yeah. Because it's so diversified. You can get on a on, on some TV program, no, no one's ever heard of you. Yeah, but on the flip side, overnight sensations, you know, with, with YouTube or YouTube. some of these reality shows, yeah. America's Got Talent, stuff like that. But yeah, uh, television, I don't recommend it these days. It's crazy. Well, it's up to you, though. Oh, you We're can. not legalists. <laughs> We're not legalists here. Okay, We're not legalists, head. but, you know, I've, I've, <laughs> I've prided myself in being able to watch golf because there's no, no blasphemy in it, no violence, but now they've got girls in miniskirts playing golf, and it's just kind <laughs> no. of wrecked the whole thing. <laughs> there's always something. All right, we got a good comment here, friends, from Dr. Fahey, I think is how you pronounce it. I don't know if uh, you'd get any pronunciation. <laughs> I know. The subject is, um, yeah, pretty good, you could say. Just discovered three months ago, and obsessed would be an understatement. Not only have I devoured multiple podcasts and Living Waters YouTube videos, maybe 30 to 40 hours per week, but have never read the Bible this much in my life since discovering every day without fail. I have literally been transformed as is now my family, and all I want to do all day and night is spend time reading, praying, walking with God, and sharing with others. I was a typical backslid Christian for decades, but recently repented and trusted in Jesus like I had never done, and I'm not going back. I'm all Mm. in and so grateful for you guys and all the Living Waters team behind the scenes. And Ray, I hope you can meet in person someday, but what a dear friend I will consider you for life. Thanks for the truth, your friend Kevin. Also, didn't see the topic yet, and I know you probably have lots of requests, but would love to listen to the topic of living and navigating life with family. He went on with some recommendations. But, oh, man, that might be one of my favorite ones. I was was in tears, actually, when I read it uh, the other day. And uh, thank you so much, dear brother, and uh, may the Lord continue to to bless you and your family, and thanks for writing in. What uh, what an encouragement. Thank you, Dr. Fahit. Fahit, yeah, something like that. Um, all right, friends. Uh, this <laughs> wow, so touching, something like that. We really care. Yeah. Yeah. No, I was seriously. I, in fact, two times I read it, and I was I was bawling my eyes out. I read out. it three times, forty times, sixty times. This episode is brought to you by the Tract Sample Pack. Ray, tell us about you, the Tract you, Sample Pack. You have just gotten your element, have you? <laughs> you used to really. I've always do dreamed that of this. You used to do that at uh, Santa Monica. 
Oh, remember that? Me, and it was and like, now, ladies and gentlemen, the world's greatest. This is in public before I get up to open a preach. Everyone's <laughs> just standing around. It's all quiet. There's a crowd there. And suddenly, Easy yells this out. And I would see Ray hang his head. Ladies and gentlemen, the world's greatest evangelist. Please welcome Ray. <laughs> you remember that, right? Oh, I've never forgotten. It makes me go hot. Oh, that was good. But I will say uh, the tracked sample pack. Tracked. That's what I said. I said yeah, it right that time. Yeah. I Normally, I'm notorious for saying it wrong. Tracked. But the tracked sample pack is an amazing way to start handing out tracts. Because if, you, if you're like, if you're the kind of person that has choice anxiety where you go on our website and you're not sure which tract is best for you, which one is easiest to hand out, if you've never handed out a tract before, the sample pack is so fun because it comes with an assortment of them. And what it allows you to do is figure out which one you enjoy most and to see the different reactions from the different kinds of people. I know I, what track I'm handing out somebody my age versus somebody, you know, in their fifties versus a 13 year old. Yeah. And so the track sample pack like allows you to kind of get comfortable with a variety of, of options. I, I love that we have that available. Yeah. It's a box uh, filled with a sample of all the big tracks we carry. And uh, I think you will absolutely love it friends. So make sure to check it out. Stay on track with the track sample. Yeah. Pack. And don't forget the evidence Bible all at living waters. Dot com. All right, guys, this is what I call the get in trouble episode, because we are talking today about Catholicism. It's been a record, 9.39 before we got to the subject. No, we've gone longer, we have? but close, yeah. Catholicism, and the reason why I say we're going to get in trouble is because it seems like every time we discuss this topic, not in a focused way even, but just mention Catholicism, people immediately think we're bashing on Catholics, we hate Catholics, we're out to get Catholics, and nothing could be further from the truth. Again, Mark was a Catholic, I was a Catholic— I have many Catholic family members that I love, Catholic friends that I would lay my life down for. So this is about speaking the truth in love. This is about being open and honest about a religious institution that we believe has some serious false teachings in it that are harmful to people, both those that are in it and those that are maybe on the parameters of it and could be influenced by it. We love Catholics. Ray, do we love Catholics? We love Catholics. We love Catholics. Mark? We could have a sticker printed, we love Catholics. We love Catholics. So let me just say at the outset, to set the the stage, everything we're about to say, we're saying in love, we're saying out of care, we're saying out of compassion. And if anyone would understand the history of standing up and speaking what they believe Uh, is the truth, it would be the Catholic Church, from its councils to the persecutions that have happened, to the inquisitions, to Mm. we can go down the line, its declarations about it being the one and only true church and, and the anathemas that it has proclaimed on others throughout history. So it's not like we're coming and just saying, hey, here's what we disagree with. The Catholic Church would come and say, here's what we disagree with. And so hopefully we can have a very friendly, warm, loving discussion about this. Yeah, I love that you start there. And and just to add on top of that, I would even go as far as saying there are Catholics through history that have had a major influence on my life. J.R.R. Tolkien, author of The Lord of the Rings with a Catholic, Charles Taylor, the philosopher, G.K. Chesterton, or even modern day authors like Christian Smith and Holly Ordway all have 
valuable things to contribute to this world. That happens because there are a lot of commonalities between Christianity and Catholicism. And I think your average Catholic and maybe even your average Christian might be like, well, don't we have so much in common? We do have things in common. We believe in the Trinity. We believe in the nature of God, that he's self-existent and eternal. We believe in the person of Jesus Christ, but we also have some major glaring differences that cannot be ignored or overlooked. Like the Catholic believe in divine or a difference in view of divine revelation of interpretation. The Catholic church believed that it's about scripture and tradition. The Protestants believe in sola scriptura. One of the big ones, Mariology. In 1854, Pope Pius IX determined that Mary was without sin, that she was super venerated, and that she ascended like Jesus. That was a very new, very Catholic belief system that is not found in Orthodox Christian history. We have a very different view of the sacraments. We have a very different view of salvation, which I'm sure we're going to get into. Yeah, absolutely. I'm glad you highlighted all of that, Oscar. Ray, do you think that sometimes the mix-up with believers regarding Catholicism is is usually associated with the fact that they do have the true biblical triune God of Scripture. We're not talking about Mormons. We're not talking about Jehovah's Witnesses who are either tritheistic or uh, modalistic maybe in, in some forms, but we're talking about a faith that does acknowledge the triune God of Scripture. They acknowledge the deity of Christ, the personality of the Holy Spirit, and other doctrines too, the bodily resurrection of Christ, the reality of heaven and hell and judgment, stuff like that. So is that where the mix-up happens to where a lot of times we'll see Christians link arms with Catholics and and declare the Catholic Church to, to be a true Christian church? Yeah, that's where we get ourselves in trouble, especially what Oscar just did. He used the word Catholic and Christian together, like they're separate. Hmm. There is Christian and there are Catholic, and that really upsets Catholics. So we're Christian, and they are Christian in a lot of sense, but the, the contention comes in how does someone become saved? Yeah. That really is the pivotal point of contention. The Bible says we're saved by grace through faith, and it's not of ourselves. The Catholic Church says it's by grace and what you do, just like what the Mormons say. It's not good. Jesus, what Jesus did on the cross isn't good enough. You have to do more. And there's seven sacraments, if you look at it, seven other things that you have to do, part of the Catholic Church, confession of sin, et cetera, et cetera. And it's adding works to salvation. It's like your father buys your Lamborghini and gives it to you as a gift. You say, okay, thanks. Here's 10 cents. You flip them 10 cents. Now you've got a purchase. It's not a gift. It's a gross insult to your father. Right. And when we flip God anything... Along with grace, it's not a gift any longer, and it's, a, it's not the way of salvation. That's good. Mark, wouldn't you say that some believers today act as if though the Reformation never happened? Like, there's no problem between what the Catholic Church teaches and what Scripture teaches? Hey, listener. Have you ever imagined yourself having a box of goodies for you to give away to every friend, loved one, non-believer that crosses your path? Well, now you can get one. That's because Living Waters is giving away 10 free boxes of goodies every single week. That's eight in the USA and two overseas. And this is being made possible by a faithful partner of ours that has given us funds to make these resources available to you for free. Each of these boxes has $100 
That's right, $100 worth of tracks, books, and even your very own podcast mug. Go to livingwaters.com forward slash podcast, fill out the form, and then listen to the end of the episodes where we will be announcing our winners. Livingwaters.com forward slash podcast. Good luck. Yeah, well, I mean, the Catholic Church has always taught grace and faith and scripture, and we want God to be glorified. And when you begin to look at all those, they're missing a key element, right? And that's the sola, right? That it's grace alone, faith alone, scripture alone, Christ alone to the glory of God alone. Yeah. If I said all those solas correctly. So they left that, they left that out, right? So when you say, hey, we, we believe in grace, yeah, we believe in faith, we believe in all of these elements. When I'm out on the street and I'm talking to a Catholic, I, I slow down and I pause. Mm. And I say, man, listen, I, I, have, I have some amazing news for you. And as my brother Mike had uh, said to me when he became a Christian, he goes, I, I realized that I could skip to the front of the line because of what Christ did. <laughs> right? I, that I didn't need to do anything because mm. Christ did everything. And what happens is there becomes this misnomer that these Catholics begin to think, oh, well, there's a sloppy grace uh, attached to it. You know, you're saved by grace. That means you don't need to do anything. Mm-hmm. And that means you can do whatever you want to do. And it's like, no, you're, you're, you're misunderstanding grace and you're misapplying grace because true grace is going to teach me to live sober and righteous in this present age, denying ungodliness. Mm-hmm. When we say that we are saved by grace, we're saying that we had nothing to do with it and we cannot upkeep our salvation. So I'm not worried about losing my salvation because I didn't do anything to earn my salvation. Now, you'll have a Catholic from time to time, Oscar, that just comes along and says, no, I believe that. I believe we're saved by grace. But then they kind of sneakily add in sacraments or they say, well, just make sure you're baptized. And they're baptismal regenerationists or other things of that nature. That's where the Protestant position comes along and just says, no, listen, it's all about Christ, period. That's good. Let me just, uh, I want to touch on that, but real quick, you forgot a, a sola uh, coffee alone, coffee. no cream, no sugar. <laughs> That's no, but Nola. <laughs> uh, you make a really good point, Mark, because a lot of people will say, the Catholic Church will say we are saved by, now they've reformed a bit and said that we're saved by grace alone through faith alone. That's something that some Catholics would affirm. The key here is where do you receive that grace? See, the thing that the church, the Catholic Church teaches is they teach transmission through the sacraments. Let me explain. We know what transmission is when it comes to illnesses, right? Like if I sneeze on something and you grab a hold of that, that's a transmission. You receive an illness. What the Catholic church teaches now is that through, through the sacraments administered by a priest, you are transmitted salvation. So yeah, it's Jesus's work, but transmitted through the works of man through the works of the priest and you yourself. And a Protestant view is justification. Justification is not just forgiveness of sins, but sanctification through only what God has done. There's no transmitting elements. And that is a key difference because as soon as you add transmission, you add works like you guys were talking about. We, We suddenly participate in our justification. 
Yeah, and it's really the difference between infused righteousness and imputed righteousness. Whereas in infused righteousness, you have a righteousness that is infused into the person in some measure, and then they grow in that righteousness. Whereas imputed righteousness is is a total alien righteousness that is completely given to the believer. And on the basis of that righteousness, he's granted entrance into God's kingdom. Yeah, that's the rest. We're coming to Jesus said, come to me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Modern evangelism says that, so you're laboring and laboring out of the weight of your own problems, and Jesus will relieve you. That's the striving the person labors to see if they're good enough to make it to heaven, and they'll never know when you're in works. And when mm-hmm. you come to Christ, he brings you into the rest that's in him, and we no longer have to labor to find everlasting life because it's a free gift given to us by God's grace. Yeah. I think R.C. Sproul he really kind of described this well. And and we want to talk about a few of the different things that are of concern in the Catholic Church. We just immediately segued right into soteriology or the doctrine of salvation, how how we're saved and and the differences there. But R.C. Sproul wrote a great book, the late R.C. Sproul, I should say, called Are We Together? A Protestant Analyzes Roman Catholicism. And it's really, really good. I mean, he's just so scholarly, but it's written in a way that's easy to understand. So he said this, He said that the Roman Catholic view is something like this, faith plus works equals justification. The Protestant view, which I believe is a biblical view, is that faith equals justification plus works. The reformers placed works on the far side of the equation, opposite faith, because whatever works we do as Christians add absolutely nothing to the ground of our justification. In other words, God does not declare us just because of any works that we do. It is by faith alone that we receive the gift of justification. So, I mean, that that really sums it up, and that's the difference. When you boil it down, the Catholic Church teaches a works based salvation. You cannot get away from that. And and some try to argue that. Here's the tragedy that is attached to that is because it's works-based, they have no guarantee of salvation. Mm. And I remember talking to my father before he became a Christian about this hope that I have in Christ that I know that I'm going to go to heaven. And I quoted him 1 John 5, 13. These things we write unto you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have everlasting life. And then Romans 10, 9 go hand in hand. And I remember him just kind of being taken back. Mm. Like, you know you're going to heaven? I go, absolutely. So nobody knows that they're going to heaven. I go, Dad, listen carefully to these scriptures again, right? Mm. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Yeah. <laughs> I go, and that's what I did, Dad. And I remember at that time, my, I remember my dad looking at me. Uh, I was living in Fountain Valley at the time, and he just kind of, huh, and he walked away. Wow. And I remember him telling me, you know, I, I could never have that because of what I did when I was at war in Vietnam. Wow. But I could never have that forgiveness. But he has since become a Christian. Praise God. You know, we, we have it in one of our episodes where I was witnessing to a Catholic man down at the beach, and he asked a question about if you've killed someone, and I assumed he was meaning in the, in the course of war. And, and I, I began to talk to him about the gospel and how God is able to save to the uttermost and any sin is forgivable under the blood of Christ. And he said that, and it's one of, in one of our trailers too, where he talked about, he said, I feel like my soul is being freed, wow. <laughs> you know, as he was encountering truth, because really the kind of sense that I think most people get when they hear the, the Catholic 
gospel is that your good has to outweigh your bad ultimately in yeah. order to fully gain God's favor. And God does not grade us on a curve. He grades us on the cross, Yeah, right? Amen. And it's either uh, Christ or it's you. You always come up short being weighed in the balances. Yeah. You lacking. Yeah. And, and look, friends, for any of you that are wondering, really, were the Catholics ever that adamant about not being saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, all you have to do is look at what was declared in the Council of Trent. The Council of Trent opened up in 1545, closed in 1563. But listen to some of these declarations. Easy, could you just explain what the Council of Trent was? I hear it a lot. So, So the church councils were gatherings of church leaders, right? The hierarchy of of the Catholic Church, and they would get together and they would basically establish official doctrine for the church. And we can look historically, we could look back at some of the councils and some of them had legitimate things. We're not nullifying anything and everything the Catholic Church has done. We affirm there are genuine born-again believers within the Catholic Church who I believe don't align with some of their doctrines or aren't aware of them. They just, I, I trusted Jesus. He saved me. I repented and I believe he died and rose again for me. So, because again, because they have the true God, right? They're worshiping the true God. Now, again, you can become idolatrous and changing certain things about God, but in terms of his, his essential essence being the triune God, they have that. So anyway, so here, here's one of the declarations. This is Canon 9. If anyone saith that by faith alone, the impious is justified in such wise as to mean that nothing else is required to cooperate in order to the obtaining of the grace of justification and that it is not in any way necessary that he be prepared and disposed by the movement of his own will, let him be anathema. I mean, that's the strongest possible language, like damned to hell basically mm-hmm. is what anathema means. Canon 12, if anyone shall say that justifying faith is nothing else than confidence in the divine mercy pardoning sins for Christ's sake, or that it is that confidence alone by which we are justified, let him be accursed, anathema, again. And and I mean, I can go on and on. There's so many of these, but I think our friends get the gist. I don't want to have to think of this. John Huss. I remember we were in uh, Czechoslovakia oh, yeah. and we were, we were standing exactly where Huss was burned at the stake and all he did was affirm the truth of scripture. Yeah, oh yeah. And look, Scripture, how much clearer can Scripture be? Ephesians 2, 8, 9, For by grace have you been saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And then he tells us the purpose of works in verse 10. You are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that you should walk in them. So it's clear we're not saved by what we do, but once we're saved, we're going to bear the fruits of salvation. So is it possible for a Catholic to be saved? Are you saying everybody that claims to be a Catholic is not saved? How do we answer that? Yeah, as I said uh, a minute ago, no, I don't believe that. I believe, though, if someone claims to be a Catholic and is saying that it is their works that are a part of salvation, then they can't be saved. That's a different gospel. And what, speaking of anathemas, that's what Paul said in Galatians 1. If anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what we've preached to you or than what you've received, even if an angel, let him be accursed. Because there's only one gospel, 1 Corinthians 15, you know, 1 through 4, death, burial, resurrection of Christ. And it says, by which you're saved. 
So and I think that's such an important point, Easy. The language used by the apostle of love, such harsh language, is because we're talking about people's eternal salvation. Right, exactly. We're not talking about some belief that right. we have and we think we're right and they're wrong. This is their eternal destiny. And so to trifle with that brings strong reproof from, from the apostle Paul. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, there could be different reasons why... Somebody who, I mean, it, I think it is possible for somebody to be a to be saved and be part of the Catholic Church, but it's despite the official teaching of the Catholic Church, yeah. right? Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. This is salvific faith. This is leading on to salvation. So somebody can share salvific scriptures. Somebody's eyes can be opened, and they get saved. Right. Now, why would they continue in a Catholic Mass? Right. I don't know. I, I mean, I guess there could be different reasons. Maybe they're trying to reach other Catholics. Uh, maybe they're just novices and they're young. Maybe they just don't know better and they think that everybody is now like them and no testimonies are, are kind of given in the midst of it. Yeah. But it's still, I mean, it's possible to become, it's like the same way. Are all Protestants Christians? Well, no. Are all Baptists course, Christians? Uh, no. It's right. the same exact thing. Mm-hmm. There's wheats amongst the tares and there's tares amongst the wheats. We have to always go back to Scripture, and this is why it is so important to hold to whatever Scripture says. And this is that go-to Scripture. We've said it a few times here in Ephesians 2. Go back and meditate through Ephesians 2, uh, verses 8 through 9. Go into 10 if you'd like, and this will show you the distinction uh, that we have with our Catholic friends. Right. I said real quick too, Oscar, as well, 2 Timothy uh, 1.8, therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God. And then verse 9, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. That's good. I think one of the more common objections that I hear when I'm talking to a Catholic on the street is their response to me when I'm talking about this. It's so interesting because they'll say something like, so what, you can be saved and then just go on and do whatever you want? Like you're not supposed to get baptized. You're not supposed to stop sinning. And by no means is the Protestant a reformed view is antinomian. By no means. The difference is we pursue righteousness in response to the grace that has been given to us, not out of fear of condemnation, not out of fear of eternal hell and punishment, but rather in response to the love that God has first given to us. We've said it over and over again. The difference is you have a husband, I belabor this point, but it's worth saying over, especially in this moment. The difference is this, that you have a husband that's cheated on his wife and he's been kicked out of the house and he's sitting at his buddy's couch and he's like, man, I miss my comfortable bed. I miss the good food that my, my, my wife used to cook for me. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go home and I'm going to ask her for forgiveness. And he knocks on the door and she opens the door and he says, hey, I miss the bed. I miss your cooking. I miss my shower. Will you forgive me? Does that sound like love? That's the response when we respond with works. On another hand, there's the person that realizes, I love my wife and I've wronged her. And I don't want her to be wronged. I want to honor her. That response is a very different response. The Christian response to God's work is one of love, 
of one that responds to the grace that has been offered to us first, not because we want something, but because we've gotten something. Yeah, amen. Yeah, and, and here's another one too, friends. This is Titus 3, 4 and on. It says, but when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. I mean, how much clearer can it get than that? And we belabor this point perhaps because it's crucial, right? You can't, none of the other doctrines really end up mattering if you have this one wrong in that where, where there's disagreement. I mean, of course they, they matter ultimately, but in a sense, you know, if you don't have salvation right, you can have everything else right. But if you don't have that, you don't have eternal life. Problem with the battle that we, we have is, and speaking to Catholics, is that many of them esteem tradition over scripture. Mm. They esteem the word of man above the word of God. Right. And we all need to be like the Bereans who search the scriptures daily. They didn't say, oh, this is the Apostle Paul. We've heard this solar Tarsus road to Damascus. Whoa, anything he says, <laughs> I'm going to listen, take notes. No, they search the scriptures daily to see if these things were so, which shows the place scripture has in God's eyes. Mm. It's, Jesus said, your word is truth. All scriptures give by inspiration of God. So that's our guidebook and everything else falls to the wayside, especially yeah. the traditions of men. Yeah. And, and that really is at the heart of why Catholicism is where it's at. A lot of times people will look and say, hey, things have been like this for a couple thousand years. And then you Protestants came around in the 1500s and you just changed things up. And I have a Catholic cousin that I absolutely love and he, he'll send me messages and, and I'm glad he does because it shows he genuinely cares. I, I believe he's in, he's in error, of course, but, but it's a gesture of love. I welcome that. But recently he and I were going back and forth on WhatsApp and he ended up leaving me a message of that sort saying that it was this way, you know, from way back when. But we have to be careful of that. Our good friend Todd Friel recently put out a video in which he kind of highlighted the dates in church history when some of these things began to develop in the Catholic church. And really we see Catholicism really begin to take shape around the fourth century. So you had prayers for the dead arise 300 AD. Again, these things were not always there. You wanna look at what was really originally there? Look at scripture, right? Mm -hmm. right? And so we start seeing these things come up. Prayers for the dead, 300 AD. Veneration of dead saints, 370 AD. The mass and the form we, we began to see it develop in, 390 AD. The Marian uh, dogmas, mid 400s. Purgatory, 575. Prayers to Mary, around 600 AD. Worship of images and relics, 790 AD. Canonization of saints, the 900s. Celibacy of the priesthood, the early thousands. I mean, you would think, oh, well, Catholic priests, oh, no. And there are a lot of reasons why it's believed that came into play. Indulgences, the late 1100s. Transubstantiation, 1215. The Apocrypha, that was at the Council of Trent, which we talked about, 1545, where books were added to the canon. And, and even Catholic scholars will acknowledge, no, th these were not a part of the Jewish scriptures originally. Right. So they were added. The Assumption of Mary into Heaven. Ah, think of that. I mean, it was 1854, right? Uh, that was 1950. 1854 was something else though. Uh, I can't remember what it was. But, uh, and then you have the co-redemptrix doctrine that, that has been floating around. It's not official dogma. But yeah, so- Could so you explain that one, easy? The co-redemptrix, yeah, basically giving Mary sort of equal status with Christ in terms of our redemption. Right. <laughs>
I mean, I shudder. Seriously, I'm getting like the chills even thinking of of attempting to do that. Right. You know, and even the Immaculate Conception, when you think about the logic of that, that was again- uh, I think that was 1854. Yeah, maybe that one. Oh, it was. You're right. Immaculate Conception, 1854. So the problem is, is sometimes you check out justification for praying for the dead. They'll quote scripture and say, I think the book of Titus, I'm not sure if it was, or Philemon or Philemon. Where <laughs> um, Onesimus, it says, uh, Paul prayed for the dead uh, Onesimus. What? And you check it up, and he wasn't dead. No, he wasn't. But he was that's a... how they justify it. They say he prayed for a dead man. Oh, and that's yeah. how you can pray for all your dead relatives and offer things to get him out of purgatory. And same with indulgence, since that's what, that's what stirred Luther up to, uh, with his thesis. Can right. I make a plea to anybody who might be Catholic and still listening at the 35-minute mark yeah. here? What, one of the verses that is not only famous amongst Catholics and Christians, it's really famous around the world. It's one of the most misunderstood verses out there. And if you're a Catholic listening, you'll recognize this. It's for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. The reason why that verse is often misunderstood is because much later on in history, we added a chapter break. And so often we read John three sixteen as the beginning of an argument, but it's really in the middle of the argument. And if you just take a few steps back, what you see is this weird reference. It says, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the son of man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. In order for us to understand John three sixteen, we have to understand what Jesus was talking about. And there's this story in Numbers where God's people are complaining. They've just escaped slavery. They're on their way to the promised land and they start rebelling against God's plans. They're like, surely it was better for us to be slaves than to be headed towards freedom and spending time in this wilderness. And so God, God himself sends a curse in the form of snakes and he's, and the snakes are biting and, and killing his people. And the people begin to repent. They go to Moses and they say, pray and ask God to take away this curse the curse that God sent. God has Moses do this really weird thing. He says, go and make a bronze serpent, put it on a pole. And so Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And it says, and if a serpent were to bite anyone, all you would have to do was look mm. at the bronze serpent and live. All you have to do is look at the curse on a pole and live. And today, all we have to do is to look to Jesus, mm. the curse on the cross and live. We do not look to the Pope. We do not look to the sacraments. We do not look to tradition. The only place we look to be saved from the curse of death that God has sent on to us because of our sins is to his son and his son alone. Amen. That's really good. Amen. Uh, that ties in with, you know, Spurgeon and his testimony of when that look preacher, yeah, look, look to him, you know, look unto the Lord and that's it. That's what it comes down to. And that's the beauty of, of salvation. And the fact that conversion is an instantaneous reality that happens in the life of the believer when he does believe, it's not a process. Mm -hmm. Our sanctification is a process, but our justification is immediate and instant. On August 15th, 1991, I looked unto Christ and I was transformed into a new creation. I received God's spirit. I was born again. And I've never been the same since. And those of you listening, that can become the reality for you as well. Mark, again, a lot of people think that the Reformation was kind of 
something that just happened instantly, but it, it was the culmination of protesting the false teachings of the Catholic Church for centuries. And that's what some will say, well, where, where was Protestantism? So then how were there Christians? Well, there were always people throughout the history of the church that were protesting this. There were true believers. The gates of hell don't uh, triumph over, over the church. But that was the culmination when, when finally that, that little monk, Martin Luther, on October 31st, 1517, nailed... What was that? <laughs> you just gave Ray hope. Ray got excited. <laughs> hey, I love Martin Luther. Yeah, two foot three, Ray. <laughs> so you're a giant. Um, but when they, Luther, they made people smaller back then. <laughs> when Luther nailed the 95 pieces to that church door in Wittenberg, uh, that was the culmination, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I don't know what to add to that. I mean, God has always had his remnant who uh, have bowed down to the world systems that he has preserved through good theology. I think that it has uh, definitely through the Reformation, people have been returning back to good theology. It's been more widely accepted and received. But if antiquity was the basis for truth, well, then Confucius should be the one to follow, right? I mean, there's always been religions and worldviews and craziness even that has happened before the time of Christ. We yeah. have to just continually go back. Who who gets to win in the midst of that? Yeah. I like to see Eastern Orthodox and Catholics arm wrestle this one through. Scripture clearly states, and that's that's why we have to always go back to that, right? It's, it is Scripture alone, whereby which we get our basis for what we believe. Hmm. So any arguments that we may have, any questions, any disputes, we open up God's Word, we're able to go right to Him directly, and He is able to teach us what we are to know, because all Scripture is profitable. It teaches us, it rebukes us, it corrects us, it leads us, it'll shine light upon the dark spots. We don't need outside uh, help, if you would, in order to interpret that. So there's a message of Luther and Wycliffe and Huss, just mm-hmm. read the scriptures. Yeah, Read the scriptures because they'll show light on what the Catholic Church is doing wrong. And that's our encouragement to any Catholics who are doubting what we're saying, just open up the scriptures and search them and see if these things are so. And that's why the reformers' number one priority was getting the scriptures translated yes, into exactly. the language of the people. And as that began to happen, the Reformation began to spread because people yep. started to look and say, wait a minute, right? Because people weren't allowed to have scripture as they you know, they ended up getting it, in, in some cases against the wishes of, of certain laws within certain they lands. They get to read there was one mediator between man and God, the man Christ Jesus. When yeah. you find stuff like that, you think, well, what's all these other mediators about the Catholic Church are saying? Yeah, amen. Yeah, First Timothy 2, 5. Yeah, no, to your point, because you mentioned like Luther wasn't the first person that tried to reform the church. The difference is that Luther and others had the printing press available to mm. them where others did not. Little and Gutenberg. So, that's Perfect. right. And, and the reason why that happens is because there was so much illiteracy at the time and or the Bible simply wasn't available. And so the only way you learn the Bible is when you went to a Catholic church and listened to the priest on Sunday or looked up at, uh, you know, paintings on the wall. And that's how you knew yeah. the stories. But then the printing press happens. Luther and the reformers get stuff printed in the hands of the common believers. And then all of a sudden we have the truth of the gospel for the first time available to us. Yeah, See, Luther, wa- Luther wasn't anti-Catholic. He was just pro-gospel. He yeah. just wanted to say, hey, this is the greatest news you could ever hope to hear. You don't have to strive. Salvation is an absolute free gift. And he was yeah. hated right. for saying that. Yeah, exactly. And, and let me uh, caveat here. Luther was by no means perfect. Within Catholicism, when things are spoken ex cathedra and are made dogma, everyone is beholden to them in a sense. For us as believers, we can even take things Luther had said and 
measure them up against scripture. So we're not all saying, hey, I mean, Luther had some anti-Semitic views that were horrible and anti-biblical. So it's important to clarify that. Also, Ray, I I do want to say this, man, where has the time gone? I can't even believe we attempted to tackle this in one program. We've only really dealt with the justification by grace through faith. But Ray, I want to, before we wrap up, at least touch on the idolatry in the Catholic Church. This is almost glossed over by some. It's sort of made out to be kind of the sentimental, you know, that's not what they really mean to do and this and that. But this is serious, the making of graven images and the bowing down before them. Well, the reason it's done is because in the Catholic catechism, the second commandment is removed. You should not create any graven image and bow down to them. And the last commandment, the tenth, is split in two, so no one would notice. I don't know when that was done. No. You can check this on the internet. So you get Catholics who are bowing down to images. I mean, I saw something on, on YouTube the other day where it, it's uh, Jesus moved his head in a Catholic church. An wow. idol did. It moved his head. Wow. In fact, that takes me back to when I was about 13 or 12. I went to a movie that showed a statue that came alive in a Catholic church, and I was just goosebumps. <laughs> you know, wow. I was really pulled into it because... Yeah. And you just want something that's more than a blind faith. But what God gives you through the through the new birth is uh, not blind faith, but a brand new creature. If you didn't believe in electricity because you thought it was invisible, I threw your fork and say, stick it up that light socket right now, <laughs> and you shall receive power. And that's what happens when the gospel comes. It comes in power, Holy Spirit, and much assurance. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and he makes you a brand new person and confirms the truth of the gospel by making you a brand new creature in Christ. Yeah, amen. Yeah, I mean, to me, it's bewildering because if there's anything that was a very clearly known prohibition to God's people throughout the Old Testament, it's idolatry. It's making graven images. It's bowing down before them. Where do we see that appear suddenly anywhere in the New Testament? It's carried through. Of course not. It's unthinkable. And yet it is a regular practice. And I remember, I can't recall if I've mentioned this before, but I was dialoguing with a relative of mine about what Catholics do with these statues and with the saints. They're like, no, we don't worship them again. The typical line is we venerate them, we honor them. And I just said, what's what's the difference? It's semantics now, right? And I shared the whole thing of your doctor saying to you, hey, don't, you can't have any solids, can't eat any solids before your surgery tomorrow. So you go home, you take meat, you take chicken, you take potatoes, corn, you throw them in a blender, blind them up, and then you drink them. It's a good call. And you say to the, <laughs> you say to the doctor, when he asks you, did you have any solids? Oh, no, no, doctor, I didn't have any solids. I drank, you know, what I partook of. It, it's semantics. You're, you're, you're lighting incense. You're lighting candles. You're bowing down. You're putting wreaths on them. You're praying to them. You're adoring them. I mean, what more do you need to do? How is it not worship? I got nothing. Oh, it was good. I thought you were going to say something. <laughs> <laughs> so, man, there's so much more. We didn't even touch transubstantiation and how unbiblical that is, crucifying Christ again. That might be a whole podcast in and of the itself. Bloody sacrifice. Yeah, we may have to do more, guys. But friends, look, we, we hope we at least got the point across, time is gone, that again, we love Catholics. Those of you that are listening who are Catholics or maybe got this podcast sent to you by a friend, please know that we care. Again, Mark was Catholic. I was Catholic. We have friends, family that are Catholic. We love you, and we want you to receive the transformative truth of the gospel so that God can set you free. You violated God's law. You've broken His commandments. There's nothing you can do 
to change that fact. If you've looked with lust, you're an adulterer. If you've lied, you're a liar in God's sight. If you've used God's name in vain, you're a blasphemer. If you've had unjust anger or hatred toward anyone in your heart, you're guilty of murder. And God is so exceedingly holy that it's unthinkable that you can do anything to erase that. You must pay your debt to justice unless that debt was paid by someone else. And that's where the cross comes in. The night I got saved, suddenly that cross that I saw in my church, that crucifix Sunday after Sunday, suddenly made sense. I needed a substitute and that was Christ in perfect righteousness. He went to that cross bearing my sin, died, rose again. And if you repent, friend, he'll wipe your sins away as a free gift and give you everlasting life. So repent, place your faith in him and let him set you free. Beautiful. That's where we're ending today. No messing around. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you here next time on the Living Waters Podcast. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. I have no idea where that ridiculous saying came from, but friends, we do have winners. Winners for the podcast giveaway. That is the Living Waters Podcast. We have Angela from Yucca Valley, California. Yvonne from Crestline, California. Brooke from Clayton, North Carolina. Andrea from Anderson, Indiana. Elias from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Becca from Lincoln University, Pennsylvania. Lowell from Yakima, Washington. Don from Charleston, Illinois. John from Ford, Australia. Good on you, Mike. And Dave from Will and Lane, United Kingdom. Congrats.